everyone, my name is Jordi Mueller, and today in the Empower Women series, we're very lucky to have Emily Saltz and Kate Cranigan, uh, both from Life Care Advocates. They were extremely generous with their time today. They probably ran for the two hours for the program. Uh, we had a huge packed room today. Uh, for a topic that tends to be extremely sensitive, tends to be extremely personal, uh, ourselves here at Lexington Wealth, we had a lot of clients uh, that tend to struggle bringing the conversation up. So we, we facilitate this, and I guess that's how we got connected with you guys, um, which is everything about aging. And not just from health, but from happiness, from loneliness, dealing with depression, how much you know of that you're going to be facing. So I'm, I'm extremely, extremely happy to have you guys here. So welcome. Thank you. And, Thank uh, you. I would like to start with a very basic question, which is how big of a problem is that it doesn't get talk and uh, enough mm -hmm. and, and, and why should it talk? Sure. Well, I think the topic of aging, the truth is we're all aging. So it, it really is a topic that you think wouldn't be that, that difficult, but uh, it really is wrapped in all the things you said. It's wrapped in a lot of fear. It's wrapped in, uh, you know, being vulnerable and being open to sharing information about yourself. And, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, folks who think if they don't deal with it or they don't talk about it, um, they won't have to face it. Um, my family happened to be visiting this last week. And through the 10 days that they were here, I noticed my mom limping on that side. Like the knee, there was something with her knee. And I didn't mention anything. I just assume it's the same knee issue she's always had. Um, and before she left yesterday, it's like, how's your knee doing? And she's like, oh, it's been a couple of months that it's hurting a lot. But, and this is what's stuck in my head. But you know, when you get old, you're supposed to be dealing with some pain. And I said, no, you're not supposed to. So... It was. It would took me ten days to to start a conversation with her. I should have started the first moment I saw her. But I'm assuming this is a common thing. Yeah, very common that the kids are reticent to bring these issues up. They're often rebuked by their parents, like your mom said. No, I'm fine. This is part of aging. Um, and we wait till they're halfway out the door to have the conversation. We don't suggest that Thanksgiving dinner is the best time <laughs> to have it. You know, these are a series of conversations over time. So you had that one conversation with your mom. Next time you're on the phone with her, gee, did you go see the doctor to talk about that knee? You know, I've read up on this and I went to a seminar. Yeah. And it doesn't sound normal to have that kind of pain. And, exactly. and just continue to encourage. So um, I think there's fear on both sides from the parents and from the kids about approaching these difficult topics because most parents are not in the role of sharing those kind of things with their kids. Yeah, and I think you're bringing an interesting conversation, which is it, I have to be willing to take responsibility on that answer too as a, as a kid, as a children. And I'm assuming that is also part of the conversations you guys have. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to know, as Emily said, you know, bringing that up at Thanksgiving dinner, probably not the best idea. But really making it a normal part of conversation is actually much more successful. And I think helping people to normalize um, openness and discussion. And I think as the ch adult child to know that, you know, being uh, curious can help the conversation. Being demanding or insistent is usually a door closer. So saying things like, you have to go to the doctors and get that done 
you're talking to an independent adult that's been making their own decisions their whole life. So that's likely not going to be as successful as I'm concerned. I think there's probably something we could do. Could I help you find the right doctor? There's great orthopedic surgeons. My friend's parent just had knee surgery. Could we get some information together to help you decide what to do next? Perfect. So it's not just raising the issue, but kind of like preparing a little bit uh, to act on whatever the answer is. That's right. I think having resources and getting, um, one of the things we talked a lot about today over many topics was being an educated consumer. So whether you're looking at things for your parents or for yourself, knowing, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, so we don't know necessarily exactly how we'll age or how things will turn out. But having knowledge from reputable people and information when you need it and being able to trust that and then bring those to the table as you're exploring options really helps. There was a, a couple of years ago, we had an event, uh, Life As We Age, we called it, and we had a ton of resources from different places here in Boston, and there, the keynote speaker, uh, and I'm forgetting his last name, I know he's going to pick on me, but uh, Mark, um, he was an expert in statistics, basically, on when it comes to aging, and uh, the one that really got everybody thinking was that 60% of people between the age of 60 and 65 will have or will need help for at least one year. And and if that's a year, and I started thinking my parents are in that age group, and I don't know if they could help each other full time. I mean, my dad works, my mom doesn't, right? So how much do we actually know about what we're going to be facing or people just don't assume it's going to happen to them? Well, that's what people assume that won't happen, but the <laughs> but reality is, I guess yeah. it does, right? I mean, the re- and we talked about this in the seminar, you know, the likelihood of chronic illness increases dramatically with age. Yeah. And so we have to prepare for that. We have to prepare for the fact that our hips and our knees and our cholesterol and our blood pressure might not be what it was. That does not mean that your life is limited or that you can't have good quality of life. But one of the things that's the hardest for people to accept is that over time as they age, we will need help. And that is an like an un-American value. Let, let's know? dig into that, yeah, because one of the... Um, I, I find it one of the most interesting parts of this is the, the cultural change when it comes to aging. Um, for those not born in this country, it was always expected that at some point you were going to take care of your parents. Uh, Being Mortal, the book by Atul Kawambe, one of the famous ones uh, that, that we actually gave last year, this book, for this particular topic. And so, so that comes into place, right? And the financial aspect comes into another place here in the United States because it's really expensive uh, when it comes to elder care. But the one that it's kind of not talk a lot in any culture is the isolation of people when they age. And I know that was a big topic today. That was the first thing that I heard coming out of the room. It's like, I need to start thinking about my networks and relationships. So I don't know if you want to expand on that. Sure. I think, you know, it is natural that as we age, our social networks do change. People, you know, live uh, in areas where they might have many friends that, that move on or pass away. You know, that is, uh, there is a level of loss. And so, you know, understanding and continuing to grow and be attentive to your social network, um, making it so that even if things change, as Emily said, mobility is an issue, driving becomes difficult, finding different ways to do the things you love um, for quality of life and happiness 
is critical um, because being isolated is really linked to a lot of other issues, including health problems. And isolation is becoming more and more known to impact people in, in very negative ways as they age and uh, very, very serious things that can be um, detrimental and things that can be adjusted. <laughs> uh, a lot of, uh, this is something I learned. Um, uh, my grandma couldn't start walking at some point and an uncle moved in with her and that was solved, I guess, solved, right? Like if it's a problem, but it's not a problem. It was, it was facilitated. Um, and the, and the reason why we started uh, realizing that she needed help was because she was not drinking coffee anymore. And the coffee needed the coffee machine and the beans and everything to prepare. And she started drinking tea. And tea is just it's hot water, which comes from the faucet. So then we realized that that was a lot of work to get the coffee. And, and that was just kind of like an interesting thing. But it triggered the thought process of like, wow, that she cannot live on her own. This right. is just coffee. Right. I, I, I mean, and that's a really great example of noticing and really being attentive. And I think, you know, but she, the, the, the hard part is she probably loves coffee. Oh, yeah. And if we are thinking through Loved. what happens as we age, we can realize that we don't actually have to give up the things we love. We have to adjust how we get them or how we approach them. Yeah. So instead of, you know, we have, you know, people who might love to golf and they used to walk all 18 holes and they stopped playing golf because they could no longer walk. Well, take a cart or only play nine or, you know, there's a lot of ways to adjust um, depending on physical or cognitive changes. Sometimes it's the driving to the location, right? That's right. And just find a way to get to the location. Yeah. So there's lots of solutions if we are allowing ourselves to talk about what has been a taboo topic. It's you know, making adjustments. And I like what you said, it's not change, it's just, just we're facilitating something coming in a different direction or, uh, you know, the opportunity to look at it differently. Um, another thing that you guys touch in the, in the topic today is human touch, the importance of human touch. And there's one area that we're putting a lot of effort and research here in Lexington, which is happiness and money, but it, it expands into happiness and other things. Money is kind of like the excuse to talk about happiness that we're using. Uh, that's completely true. So. I think human and in the, the few of the tests that we do for happiness, human touch is like how many hugs you get a day, how many hugs you get a week, uh, have you kissed somebody in the last six months, like etc. Uh, do you do you have constant sex? You don't have sex at all. How much does that affect in happiness directly? I don't know if you want to expand a little bit more on how this affects aging. Well, I, I mean, I think that we are social beings. Yeah. So whether that equates to actual, you know, our sexuality or our relationships, our connectedness, our feelings of community and purpose, I think all of those, I happen to be very interested in the topic of happiness. I happen to have a, we a should great talk deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, and so, and there's an incredible amount of research and understanding about, and we're getting more and more uh, understanding about those kinds of components to people's aging well. Um, you know, and so finding ways to engage in connection and purpose is so important. And I think we miss the mark sometimes and we forget that, you know, we do put emphasis on money as happiness or, you know, I need that big house. I could never move out of that big house because that's where I'm happy. 
Um, but if we dig a little deeper, we can actually find that I, I'm able to move out of that big house because I'm going to now be connected with multi-generational community. Yeah. I'm going to do some mentoring. I'm going to. So making those awarenesses and helping people um, be uh, you know, aware and even things like optimism and attitude make a huge difference as we age. Yeah. And I'm assuming at certain point in your life, and, and again, I'm jumping into like the probably the very late stages in life. Some of the touches and human touch you get are usually for like nurses and doctors and people that are there to do something and not necessarily like be affected affected yeah i think people really suffer from that uh there are there are people in nursing homes who never go outside Um, (laughs) forget about even being touched um Hmm. sometimes we bring people outside it's the first time they felt a breeze on their face so i think we in our effort you know we might be getting the medical part down and the care part and transferring person from bed to chair but at the end of life um, human touch and human connection is so important and we really don't have that built into our healthcare system. We do see that with hospice care, which is end-of-life care, that there's a much bigger emphasis as people are dying when they get hospice services on the power of touch and on on that connection. I think it's great you bring it up, but, but often in the scheme of things, um, in hospitals and nursing homes and in rehabs, it just doesn't happen enough. Yeah, um, I got a reputation here at the office from hogging, for hogging everybody, <laughs> but they think it's for them. It's for me, not for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. um, so I, I want to jump into, uh, I guess, a more legal question, which is uh, the majority of people do not prepare the documents for for very important reasons, right? Uh, sorry, for for important decisions, and this is like healthcare proxy and state planning and will, and and make sure that you revise them every so often. Um, why do you think is that? Is it just part of not touching the topic? Sure, I think there is a expectation or an, a feeling, and often misunderstanding that those things are too big, too expensive. You know, I don't want to talk about it. If I don't address it, it will somehow magically go away. And the truth is what we know and what we really try to help people see is these are the things that actually help you gain control, not lose control. Um, They're the things that help you articulate what's important to you, where your values are, what you want both now as you're well and able to articulate it yourself and when you're not. And even if somebody's going in for a minor surgery that takes a longer time to recover, you know, you may have a period of incapacity. Mm -hmm. So having things done proactively is so critically important. Yes. I do think there's not enough. I think, and it's getting more and more, you know, sort of noticed. We're talking about it. So it's becoming a little more mainstream and there's ways to do that. But I think it is still a topic that we need to keep reminding people. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. Um, I'll never forget. This is, I'll never forget this in my life. When you come as a foreign student to the United States, you have to sign all kinds of documents. And one of them is this option in or or out of an insurance for your funeral. Mm. And you're 18, right? And you have to decide. So what happens if you die? Do you do you like keep your body here? Or you sell at home? You're like, oh, like that could happen. <laughs> and I did not think of what to do with that. Let me call my parents on this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but I guess 
it, if there is no trigger points along the way, it's, right. it tends to be when somebody close to you. Yeah, go ahead. I so can see your I can the, see your face. <laughs> and that's the problem that yeah. these documents. People often say, "Oh, you know, either in the middle of a crisis, yeah. oh, where is your documents? Where's your healthcare proxy? Are you?" And even if they were there and they have them tucked in a drawer, oftentimes the person who was appointed healthcare proxy doesn't even know, even know it. Yeah. And they've never had a conversation. And yeah. they're so ill-equipped to follow someone's wishes. Yeah. And in a crisis, they're making very hard decisions in an emotional state very often. And so we really encourage people to look, starting at 18, you know, it's a lifelong conversation. At 18, if you have adult children or children turning 18, it's a time to get a healthcare proxy yeah. on board before they go off to college. And, you know, and then you begin to start a normal conversation about what things are like at different stages of life and what we want and how we continue to communicate that. And I, and I want to say, is really an inexpensive. It uh, is. Like, it, it is not thousands of thousands of dollars no. at all. No. It, but it's completely a myth. Well, and I think what people are misunderstanding as well is truthfully in the worst case scenarios later in life, if someone actually does become incapacitated and they did not form these documents in a way that's appropriate, they could actually be faced with much greater cost because then they have to go to court and they have to get a guardianship or they have to step in in other legal ways that number one are much more costly and number two are, are often very undignified. Yes. And they lack choice and opportunity and for it's the, the person. It's the last thing you want to be doing sometimes in those moments, taking That's care right. of the legality of That's it. That's right. Yeah. This should be, I always say, this should be Highly one of... Highly recommended. Highly recommended summer project. I would say, just <laughs> do it in summer, right. do it over Christmas right. uh, when you come back. That's you right. talk, you decide, and then yeah. just do it. Pay the 350 yeah. bucks that it costs. Get it done. Awesome. So... Um, Usually, we could go on this topic for a long time, and and I, we have had people here before that that talk about long-term care insurance and costs about aging and what to consider and what not to consider. And we honestly, I don't even know what the United States is going to be like when I am aging. But I don't know if you want to touch the topic about costs. So the costs of the important thing to realize is the costs of care in this country are very expensive mm -hmm. and our health insurance does not cover those costs. Most people think Medicare is going to cover a lot. Medicare does not. Medicare is a wonderful program, but it co covers acute care in a hospital. It covers limited time in a rehab and it covers your doctor visits. If you need eight hours a day of care at home, you're not going to get that under Medicare. If you need 24-7 care, you're not going to get that. The only way to get that is to pay privately or for really low-income folks. There's a Medicaid program, MassHealth in Massachusetts. But for most people, they're being cared for by family members. You know, your uncle moved in because potentially the cost of care is too expensive. So a lot of adult children wind up being faced with a real conundrum about how to deal with issues. So. It's very important to realize that care is expensive here. The only way to mitigate against that is long-term care insurance is one way, and it's gotten a bad rap, but we have clients who pull those policies out, and we are able to get them, you know, eight hours a day of care is paid for through their policy. Hallelujah, what a great thing. So any tool that you can use to offset those costs is really important. I find it interesting that people will, we all have to buy auto insurance, and but our chances of getting into a car accident are less than that of aging and maybe having a chronic illness yeah. that you need care for. So it's not a bad uh, investment to yeah. consider what are the ways that I can either save 
or figure out how I'm going to fund this type of care because insurance and most people think insurance will pay and it doesn't. So yeah. very important. Yeah, I think you bring a topic of, uh, I mean, it's personal to everybody. It's kind of like, and I'm very conscious about your time. I know you guys have to leave. Um, everybody ages and not a, lot of, not a lot of people change their ways throughout their life. Like they stay the way they are. If somebody's eating unhealthy today, it's very hard for them to change their lifestyle of eating. If somebody's not exercising or they haven't exercised and they're 50, it's hard for them to start exercising. So I think we all kind of need to be a little logical about where we fall in the spectrum of things. It's not the average or averages, but you kind of know where you fall in the spectrum of things. And I think that's a hard thing to realize in your own family, right? Like I know my dad, for example, it has a better chance of not suffering a lot of these things than my mom. Because my dad exercises daily, he eats healthier, uh, stays connected, uh, read, loves to read books. And my mom is a more sociable person, doesn't eat as healthy, and doesn't exercise as much as my dad. So I'm sure when it comes to statistically, he is going to be probably on the better side of things. Now, should I consider a different policy for both? Probably. Right? Well, I mean, even when you're looking at long-term care, you have to qualify. So if your mom has any pre-existing conditions because of those lifestyle choices, it's possible she may not qualify anyways. Exactly. So those are, you know, I mean, there are factors. I know. know, I'm sorry too, mom. Um, But those are factors. And so you might make plans that dad's going to be qualified and able to get a policy at a much lower rate, or he's going to be able to get that. She may not. So you might have a different plan for her and a financial adjustment in how you save or how you manage that versus what he's going to be eligible Exactly. Awesome. Um, Just to close it, because I know we have a lot to do, um, we usually recommend a couple of books or something to refer. I don't know if you have anything in mind that you can tell people this is something you need to read. And if you don't have a book, something they can start doing today. That would be another good thing to close the podcast. Okay. So you mentioned a book, Atul Gawande's um, Being Mortal. Absolutely always a good book to think about. And something to do today, you know, I think just do one thing. I would say do one thing that we've talked about. Make a, Have a start a conversation. Look at a resource. Find a, a lifestyle change you can make easily. Create a new habit. I think any one of those things, um, you know, take it in small steps. People don't change you know, from A to Z, but you can take from A to B. Make a small change today that will make a difference later. Awesome. Anything from you, Emily? Um, I think the I think that book is great. Um, there's also the 36-hour day, which is a really classic book for caregivers who are dealing with um, aging parents, particularly parents with dementia. Um, Roz Chast, who's a cartoonist for uh, The New Yorker, wrote a fabulous graphic book um, what's it called? Oh. <laughs> we'll find it. We and put can't it on the talk notes. about it now. Uh, right. I don't want to talk about it now. Which oh. describes about describes her struggle trying to take care of her parents. So for hmm. people who are caregiving, that's great. Um, the other thing you might want to mention the website for honoring choices. Yeah. Sure. Another great website in which we've been affiliated with um, since its inception is Honoring Choices um, of Massachusetts. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't worry. And Honoring Choices is a place where people can go to start looking at the documents we've talked about, starting a conversation, and then understanding where those documents should live. Um, you know, and it is a free website, and it is a way for people to get started without the fear of the cost or the big commitment. 
Perfect. So um, we're going to put the, all the information of you guys there in our podcast notes. Uh, we totally recommend you go to Life Advocate's website, which will be there. Uh, you guys are doing a great job, much needed for society, and we highly recommend you guys. Uh, so thank you for your time, both of you. And uh, until next time, us. thank you for joining us. Thank you.